0: All right, church, if you don't know me yet, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors around this place. Today, I want us to take a look at that classic Bible story, the one you guys all know and love, David and the World's Worst Boss. You remember this one? You guys learned this one in Sunday school? On the flannel graph, this is a timeless one, David and and the World's Worst Boss. As we look at this, this classic, I want you to see... God's plan for you to win, his way to win in, an, in a world dominated by evil. I've had some bad bosses in my life. I mean, have you, have you guys ever had a boss so bad that you would just figure out ways to, to hide from him? I mean, anyone else, is that just me? I remember my, my first... Uh, boss my first real boss when I was in high school I was working at a local grocery store this guy was he would get drunk like right in the middle of the day and show up in the store and yell at the employees and throw stuff and, and then right in front of customers and we would hide out in like the dairy it would just be freezing in the, in the in the fridge back there just to not deal with this guy in the Navy I had a, a, a my immediate supervisor a superior uh, who was so uh, full of stress and, and angry and anxious. He was just like a ticking time bomb. The dude was just wound tighter than a clock and he would he chain smoked and put chews in and nicotine patches just to have a constant stream of tobacco going into his system. To, I think just to keep him from literally exploding and we'd all just walk on eggshells around the dude <laughs> because you didn't, you didn't want to pull the pin out of that grenade. Later on I uh, was working construction and I had a project manager who was over my whole department. And you, this was the type of guy that if you uh, made the smallest mistake, he'd pull you into his office and just unload, just chew you up one side down the other, and he wouldn't spare any, any words, he, he wouldn't spare any insults, and uh, you could hear him uh, yelling at people in his office all the time with the door closed. And he was just, I mean, he just poisoned the whole culture of the department we, we worked in. I've had some doozies. In my life, I've I've worked for some guys who have made my life real miserable. Some of them I'd say go so far as to say these are evil guys, but I honestly don't think that any of them hold a candle to the boss that David had to work for. David's boss was a guy named Saul and he just so happened to be the king of Israel, one of the most powerful guys in the world at the time. And Saul was the type of guy, I think he honestly wanted to be a decent leader, but because of his narcissism, And because of the way he abused his power, and because of his inability to acknowledge his own uh, flaws, and because of his defiance toward God, and because of his emotional instability, he was a terrible leader. I mean, evil. So bad that God said, you're out. He says, I'm going to replace you. You're done. And who does he choose to replace him with but David? David. Now I want you to think about it. I, I want you to put yourself in David's shoes just for a second. Imagine you're David and you're young, inexperienced, insignificant, you're a teenage shepherd boy and you get chosen to replace the incredibly powerful and megalomaniacal King Saul. And not only do you get chosen to replace him, You get sent to work for him while he is still king. I mean, what what a miserable job. That is a recipe for a dangerous work environment, a toxic work environment. And the thing you gotta understand is because David had chosen, or because God had chosen David, God's favor was with David, and this kid couldn't help but win. I mean he faced the giant and he wins he goes off into battle against israel's enemies and he wins he goes off into another battle and he wins and and every time he wins his popularity with the people of israel increases and so Kids start taking down their Saul posters and putting up David posters. Young ladies want to marry him. Young guys want to be him. In fact, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 7 uh, says that the women started to sing a song and, and, and celebrate David and celebrate all his victory. And I, I don't know how the tune of this song went, so I'm, not, I'm just going to do my best here. But they, it was something to the effect of Saul has struck down his thousands, but David, his ten thousands. And they're out there, they're singing this song in the streets. And Saul, man, he just can't get away from it. He can't, he can't open a window or turn on the radio without hearing this stupid song, and it's just driving him nuts. He can't take it. Why? Because Saul doesn't actually care about the well-being of the people in his kingdom. He only cares that he gets to be king. Uh, Verse 8, 1 Samuel chapter 18 says, Saul was very angry and this saying, this song displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and and me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? That's, That's why Saul is going nuts. That's why Saul can't take it. Verse 9, he says, and Saul eyed David from that day on. And verse 10 it says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within the house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. And Saul he had, his, he had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I'm gonna pin David to that wall. But David evaded him twice, I mean, two times. He gets a, a literal weapon of war thrown at him and has to go back to work only to have it thrown at him again. And, and then, so time goes by and David continues to have success in battle which makes his popularity increase, which makes Saul hate him even more. And First Samuel chapter 19 verse eight says, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow. So they fled before him. And verse nine, then a, this is gonna start sounding familiar. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre. We we know, we've seen, it's like we've watched this before. We've seen this episode. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that the spear struck into the wall and David fled and escaped that night. David's wife, who happens to be Saul's daughter, by the way, lowers him out a window, helps him escape out a window. David's best friend who happens to be Saul's son by the way tells him, "Man, listen, you got to get out of here. My dad's going to try to kill. This is a real deal. I heard for myself. You you got to get out so David flees." And he hides out. First off, he hides out amongst some priests. And Saul hears about it, and so Saul goes and he kills all 85 priests that David was hiding with and their wives and their children. This is the type of evil we're talking about. So David's on the run. He's hiding in caves, he's hiding in rocks, he's hiding in fields, and every time Saul finds out where David's hiding, he takes an army, talk about abuse of power, he takes part of Israel's army and he goes and he tries to find David and kill him. And this continues all the way till, let's fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 26. It says, then the Ziphites came to Saul at Gebeah and saying, is David not hiding himself on the hill of Hakaliah, which is on the east of Zeshimon? So Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph with 3,000 chosen, talk about overkill, 3,000 chosen men of Israel to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped on the hill of Hekaliah, which is beside the road. You guys know the hill of Hekaliah, right? It's the one that's just right by the road east of, of Jeshimon. Uh, you guys, I don't know if you've been there. But David remained in the wilderness. When he saw Saul came after him into the wilderness, David sent out spies and learned that Saul had indeed come. Then David rose. And came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with, the, with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying within the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I'll go down with you. So David and Abishai went down to the army by night, and there lay Saul, sleeping with, in the encampment with his, listen to this, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given you your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of a spear. Trust me, I won't have to hit him twice. Pause. You hear that? Abishai is saying, right there, there it is. That's the spear, that's the one. That's the one. He's been throwing this thing at you for a long time. How many times has he thrown this at you? And it's, there he is, he's asleep and that same spear. This is your chance. Seek revenge, avenge yourself. Let me do it. You don't even have to do it. I'll do it. So David, has a, he has a choice. What's he going to do? Is he going to take the spear that's been thrown at him and throw it back? Verse 9, this is how David responds. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him. For who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he'll go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head and the the jar of water and let's go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. David could have taken the spear that had been thrown at him so many times, and he could have thrown it back. But he chose a different way. Here's here's how he he returns it. He doesn't return it to Saul the fast way, the vindictive way. Uh, Let's fast forward to verse 22. This is the first time David sees Saul face to face after that, that, that evening where he was asleep. And David is speaking with Saul. And David answered and said, here, here's the spear, O king. What does that say? You know, not here, Here's the spear, catch. No, here's the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. I'm not gonna try anything. I'm not gonna try anything funny. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, listen to these words, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. David, he could have thrown, this, thrown the spear back, but he hands it back in a way that shows a kindness that Saul does not deserve. This is important, this is a, this is a big deal because the whole world says, listen, that, th- that spear has been thrown at you so many times. This is your chance. This is. is, So let him have it, man. He deserves. He's he's had it coming for a long time. He doesn't deserve your kindness. This is. Just give it back to him. He deserves it. And David takes the spear in his hands, and he ignores the voice of sinful human reasoning, and says, "No, my God, he's got a much better way to do things." We find that that better way in Romans chapter 12, verse 17 through 21. Read this with me. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you hear what God says? You see, you do you hear his better way? God says, listen, if you want to win my way, if you want to win in a world that's dominated by evil, you gotta follow these three steps. One, you gotta do good and do it on purpose. Two, you gotta strive to live at peace with everyone. And three, Don't avenge yourself, never avenge yourself. Number one, even when you have been wronged, even when you have suffered evil, God says, do good on purpose. You hear what he says, verse 17, he says, don't repay evil with evil. It's not how God works, it's not how it works in God's economy. God doesn't accept your evil Apple Pay or your evil credit cards. It's not, that's no good here in God's economy. He says, don't try to repay evil with evil. He says, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. In all your interactions with all people, even when you've been hurt, he says, give thought. That means be intentional. Be purposeful about this. Give thought to do what is honorable. The word here means what is beautiful in God's sight. He says, man, I want you to be on purpose about doing good, the type of stuff that God finds beautiful. When we're wronged, the world says, listen, calculate. Calculate how you're gonna hurt that person back. You have the right to. Calculate how to get that person back. But God says, no, That's, that's not how we do things in my kingdom. That's not, how, that's not how Jesus did it, and he is the only innocent person that's ever lived, and that's not how he did it. That's not how we're gonna do things. He says, I want you to calculate how to do good to the person. Even when you have been wronged, do good on purpose. Man, David, he could have plotted his revenge. Are you kidding me? This was David that everyone loved. He could have gotten everyone on his side. He could have paid Saul back, but he chose to do what was honorable. He chose to do what was beautiful in God's sight. So even when you've been wrong, even when you've had a spear thrown at you, do good on purpose. Number two, even when you have been wronged, strive to live at peace with everyone. Listen to this, verse 18. I love how this is worded. It says, if possible, as... Far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible. Listen, it's not always possible. He, he says, but as much as it depends on you, like I want you to own your end. I want you to, uh, you, you can't force anyone to live at peace with you. you know, people, people throw spears. People like to throw spears, honestly. Shouldn't surprise any of us. But what he's teaching us here is that sin on their end never justifies sin on our end. God says, even, even when you've suffered evil, I want you to strive, I want you to do your part to live at peace with all people, even, even have peace with that person. See, here's the deal. David couldn't force Saul to live at peace with him. But David did everything within his power to live at peace with Saul. Number three, even when you've been wronged, never avenge yourself. Verse 19, the first part. I just want you to look at that first verse, first sentence. Beloved, never avenge yourself. This means never exact revenge, never try to get revenge, never try to pay someone back, never try to hurt someone who's, who's hurt you. Don't, do, don't worry about, don't do that, because in God's economy, in God's kingdom, payback is never an option for God's people. And we all got an Abishai in our life that'll say, here's your, here's your chance. That spear, he's thrown it at you how many times? Why don't you just chuck it back at him once? We all have that Abishai in us. And I tell you what, we all got a little Abishai in us, don't we? Come on, I know I'm not the only one. Starts thinking, man, you know what? That spear hurt last time. I'm willing to bet if I just, if I launched her just right, God says, no, don't take revenge. And when we're doing this right, what does it look like? Verse 20, it gives us a picture of what this looks like. We'll be the type of people uh, that will just, if our enemy's hungry, we'll just feed them. If our enemy's thirsty, we'll give them something to drink. We, we give undeserved kindness in exchange for hurt, not the other way around. And, and, and Paul writes, and by doing so, what's gonna happen? You're gonna heap burning coals on his head. Now, guys, this is symbolic. Not literal. We don't need, you don't need to go down and get some Kingsford uh, char, uh, you know, briquettes. No, this is symbolic. What on earth does this mean? He's saying the, the effect of undeserved kindness as a response to someone's cruelty puts the ball of their sin back in their court. Does that make sense? It puts it back on them in a way that will possibly... Melt their heart. They they could very well have a change of heart. They could very well repent because you have shown them that they were guilty, that they were in the wrong and that you are striving to honor God and do what's beautiful in his sight. The other thing might happen, maybe they stay hard-hearted and then it's between them and God. Their guilt will be indisputable before God. Think about that. Someone's cruel to you and you exchange goodness with them. You give them what is good, what is kind and you bless them and you pray for them. One day they're gonna be, and if they don't change their heart, one day they're gonna be standing before God and he's gonna go, what's up? Are you kidding me? You were that abusive to that person? You were that cruel to that person? You You threw all those spears at that person and they didn't throw a single one back at you and they were just kind to you, and they loved you, and they were praying for you, and they were asking blessing upon you, and you still stayed hard-hearted? Repaying evil with undeserved kindness kind of puts the person back in God's hands. It takes it out of our hands. And then God says, when you guys are firing, when y'all are firing on all three of these cylinders, when you when you're doing good on purpose, and when you're when you're striving to live at peace with everybody, and when you're resolved to not avenge yourself, and, and you're the type of people that just bless instead of curse, and, and repay good instead of evil, when 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 that's going on, God says you will be overcomers. Verse twenty one. You will win. Listen to what he says. He says, Don't be overcome by evil. Don't don't be conquered by evil. Don't let evil beat you in this way by dragging you down to its level. Don't, Don't lose this way. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Conquer evil with good. Beat evil. Win even though you're in a world that is totally dominated by evil, you can win by exchanging good, by blessing, by not cursing, by loving and not hating, by forgiving and not seeking revenge. But (laughs) how? I know uh, every one of us has that one exception And we go, yeah, but you don't know this guy. You you don't know this jerk. You don't know what that person's done to me. You don't know what she's done to me. Why should I trust that if I surrender my right to revenge, that I will actually overcome evil? Why should I trust that if I choose to be good, to someone who does not deserve it, if I give kindness where it's not deserved, why on earth should I trust that I'm actually going to beat evil? Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Man, God's a lot better at wrath than we are. For it is written, this is how we can trust that if we obey God and giving undeserved kindness, that he will cause us to be overcomers. This is it, for it is written. Deut- uh, this is Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five. It's written, it's God's word, man. It's a stinking promise. It's a promise that is more firm than the ground we're standing on. And God says, vengeance is mine. That's my business not yours, let me handle it. And God says, I, not you, don't, you guys aren't in the repay, we're not the repayers, we don't need to repay anyone. God says, I will repay, and he says, I will repay. God always repays evil. Whether we see it or not, sin doesn't slip through the cracks in God's sight. It's impossible. Are you kidding me? A holy God who is all seeing, not a single evil that has been done to you, will get past God. We can trust that. That is the foundation of the overcomer principle. That's the key that unlocks our ability to obey God in this and still go to sleep at night. That God will take care care of them, that God will take care of you, and God will take care of them. You remember what David said? He says, man, God could strike this dude down today, or maybe he'll just get old and just die, or maybe he'll go off into battle and die, but God is going to deal with Saul as God sees fit. I don't need to be God. God's good at it. I don't need to try to usurp his job. God will deal with my enemy. And then you remember what he says at the end? David says to Saul, he's handing it back like this, and he says, you know, because your life was precious this day in my sight, we value the life of an image bearer of God even if they've heard us, and we say this is precious. And then he says, may my life be precious, not in Saul's sight, David doesn't even care if his life is precious in Saul's sight. He says, in the Lord's sight. And may the Lord deliver me out of all tribulation. Do you hear what David says there? He says, I know God's gonna take care of Saul. I know God's gonna take care of David too. God will take care of you in this if you obey him. And I know that every single one of us I know there's not a single person in this room that hasn't had a spear thrown at you, And it hurts. I know you've all been injured. We've all, we've all got pain, man. We, we've all been on the business end of one of these guys in some form or another. But the spear's now, it's in, it's in our hands. The spear that's been thrown at you, it's in your hands. What are you going to do with it? The one that's the spirit that's been thrown at you are you going to to throw it back? Are you going to hand it over in a way that shows kindness? The type of kindness that the person does not deserve. Are you going to do what's beautiful in God's sight? I want you to worship team come back up We're gonna close by singing a song about believing God's promises. And I want you to think of Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I want you to think of that promise. Now I I want you to think back to that person who has hurt you. Are you clinging to your right to stab them back? Or are you clinging to the promise that God says, I'll take care of them and I'll take care of you? God says, man, soften your grip on that spear. Soften your grip on that thing. Tighten your grip on my promises. This doesn't mean, I want you to, I want to be real clear. I want everyone to listen to me very clearly. Especially young women. This does not mean you have to be a punching bag. God doesn't command you to be a punching bag. What do punching bags do? They hang in there and they just take it. Right? David fled. He, 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 he did what he had to do to be safe. God cares about your safety. God wants you to make wise decisions. You don't have to hang in there. You don't have, we're not called to be punching bags. We just don't punch back. That's it. We're, we're going to get spears thrown at us. We just don't throw them back. That's it. I want you to think now of two spears. One, I want you to think of a spear that's been thrown at you. Maybe recently, or maybe it's in the past, but it still hurts. And I want you to imagine yourself holding that spear. I want you to spend time doing this this week. I want you to pray And I want you to ask yourself, how can I lay this spear down in a way that shows kindness that that person doesn't deserve? How can I do what is honorable and beautiful in God's sight? Second spear I want you to think about is a spear that you've thrown by someone else. And I want you to hold that spear in your hands. I want you to actually do this this week and pray ask God's forgiveness and say, God, how can, how can I ask for forgiveness for the person I've injured? Church, imagine if we, we did this. Imagine if this is what we did. If we were that type of people who on a regular basis offered kindness that was not deserved, And and we were the type of people on a regular basis who asked forgiveness when we hurt someone else. Imagine if if we all did this and then we go out into this community and, and, and it would just flood this community with undeserved kindness and intense forgiveness. Man, what's gonna happen? What are the stories we're gonna hear? What's God gonna do? How is he gonna use that? And how is he gonna work in each of our lives? What's he gonna do in us? What's he gonna do through us? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll repay. Leave it to me. You overcome evil with good. Stand and let's, let's sing to our God.